Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Let's pray one more time, because I like to pray. Jesus, we love you, and as we go to the Word, I pray that it would be illuminated to our life. Lord, let us be able to not only hear, but apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that we will walk away today transformed and changed because of the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, we come with, with open hearts and open hands. We come without kind of, with any pretense, but Lord, we come ready to hear what you have to say to us. So we praise you today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to welcome online, whoever you are joining from and wherever you're at this morning. I'm so grateful that you're here joining with us online and uh, from all over the place, or if you're sick and you're home in bed, the, the healing of the Lord be upon you in the name of Jesus. But can we do this one more time, one life? Can we put our hands together for everybody online? It's good to see you online this morning. Well, last week, uh, we talked about Romans, uh, the, the, the second part of Romans 1 and Romans 2. And, and the whole point of it, if you were here, was we talked about these two words that we are all guilty of. It was a really, really uplifting message. Walk away going, there ain't no hope in ourselves, right? We talked about these two words. We talked about the word rebellion. And we talked about how in chapter one, how Paul was talking about how all of us have rebelled against God. We've turned our back on him, and for one reason or another, we've rejected the truth of who he is. Either we've rejected his holiness, we've rejected his standards, we've rejected his authority, whatever it is, and we've actually stepped away from him when we've all done our own thing. And, and, and the good news is that it's all of us, right? We're all in the same place. We're all in need of a savior, right? And so it painted this picture, but then in chapter two, he went on to this word, religiosity, and he talked about how sometimes it can be just as potent all the time. It can be just as potent to actually believe that you've got it all figured out and that you're living according to a good life. And, 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 and the trouble we run into when we start to believe that if we just live a good enough life and do enough good things that it somehow saves us. Well, it doesn't. There, there's never enough good things that you can do to save yourself from the sin that you were born into. We need a savior, right? And we have to go to this place of utter depravity in order to step into Romans 3. We have to understand who we are apart from Christ so that then we can celebrate who we are in Christ. Amen. And today we get to turn a corner on this because it's, it's gonna be powerful to see what Paul lays out here to give us a hope and a future. And it's gonna get, it's gonna get really, really good. But before Paul jumps into that, this idea that, that rebellion, we talked about how rebellion actually leads to this ultimate step of believing that we're actually thinking in a right way and convincing other people to do the same thing. It's the affirmation of rebellion in other people. This is the final step of our rebellion. We've so far convinced ourselves that a lie is actually the truth that we start applauding people who are in the same boat and doing the same thing. Why? Because it makes us feel better about our conscience. 
And so Paul is going to, in the opening uh, verses of this, he's actually going to put a capstone on this. And he, he, he makes some statements here because, because some people have been believing some things that he wanted to debunk, right? So, so, so one of the things that was in here that is said in, in Romans 3 that he says is that the more I sin or my sinfulness shows God's righteousness. That, 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 that the more I sin, the more it shows God is, is right. He says that this is where rebellion leads to is actually this idea that it's good for me to sin so that the righteousness of God can abound. Or he says this, or people who say, my dishonesty highlights God's truthfulness. If I'm dishonest, it's fine because it actually highlights how truthful God is. Or he says this in verse eight, the more I sin, the more God's grace can come in. So if I keep sinning, then I'm actually allowing God's grace to come in. All three of these are wrong. At One Life, we don't believe that. If there, if there was any guess, if there was any like, hmm, what do they believe? Is it okay to keep? No, your sinfulness is sinfulness, right? This is the thing I want you to remember. God does not need us to showcase our sin in order for him to showcase his forgiveness. He's not looking for you to continually sin to show him how good he is. Our sin doesn't help God. It's spiritual pride to actually think that I'm okay to do this because it's actually helping God to fulfill his destiny. No, you're just a sinner. Good work, good, good point, good point. That was awesome. <clears throat> Very good, okay. Now, this is important for us to be able to grab a hold of because of where we're going. The crux of Romans 3 is this verse right here. Verse 23 says this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, okay? And this rebellion has led us away from God. Now, in all of this though, chapter one, chapter two, brings us to chapter three. And the thesis of chapter three is this, and oh, you guys, this is gonna be good. Even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Oh, you guys, anytime, even though we sin, God's faithfulness remains. When we fall down flat on our face, his faithfulness and his mercy remains. His forgiveness remains. His salvation remains. I, I, I'm hoping that for you today, that you can walk away with a breath of fresh air in your life. And the breath, the breath of fresh air is this is that even on your worst day, when you have been unfaithful to God, he's faithful to you. His love continues towards you. His kindness continues towards you. Now, now in that, what he's doing is he's calling you to himself and calling you to a place of repentance from churning from your sin so that you can follow him. Like, like make no mistake, he has a plan for this, but his faithfulness remains. He cannot stop being who he is. It's impossible for him to change. I think the, the breath of fresh air for you is that if you walk in a place and you come into this place today with any kind of shame, 
any kind of condemnation, any kind of guilt from maybe things that took place this last week. The breath of fresh air for you is that his love is consistent. His forgiveness is consistent. His faithfulness is consistent to your life. Romans 3 and verses 3 through 4 says this, true, some of them, or us, were unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, this is Jesus, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. The grounding of our faith can be on the fact that Jesus is faithful and doesn't change. The grounding of where we sit in this place today is believing that the saving power that happened right after Jesus resurrected and from the cross is just as powerful today. It hasn't changed, it hasn't weakened. Second Timothy, Paul writes this, that if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. And Lamentations 3 says this, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness and his mercies begin afresh every morning. How many of you are thankful that when you woke up this morning, his mercies were fresh for you? I tell you what, I, I, that, that verse blows my mind sometimes to think about that when I wake up, he has fresh mercy for today. He has fresh grace for today. That, that, that it's not contingent. It's not like I've, I've run out. You won't run out of his mercy. You don't run out of his grace. It continues. And Hebrews 13 says this, and this is powerful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the faithfulness of God is complete. It's complete, doesn't change. And so it's in this, this idea of faithfulness, this idea that, that God is faithful even when we're unfaithful and all of this truth that, that he's gonna lay out. He's gonna talk about a principle around the law, okay? Now the law, what he's referring to here is he's talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the Mosaic law. And what this is, is this is what is laid out in the book of Leviticus. This is what they were following and had all the things to do with sacrifices. And if, if, you, you, know, if, you, if you look at someone wrong, you sacrifice this. No, I'm not, I'm kidding. That, wasn't, that was being facetious. But there were a lot of rules that they had to follow. There were a lot of things under this law that they had to do. And then they had the Ten Commandments, right? And then that was even more. And it was just a different way of looking at the same thing, right? There was, there was this law that the Jews were, were under and living under, okay? And Paul is going to address this because again, remember Romans is written to both the Gentile and the Jew. And he's gonna talk to him and he's gonna address this idea of the law because the idea was that, that even though the law was always to highlight the fact that you can never earn or attain or do it perfect, that's what people had gotten into. You see, even back into the Old Testament, what saved a person, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, what saved a person was faith. Faith in what they didn't know yet. They were putting faith in the Savior to come. But what had happened is over time, people had started to look at the ritualization of the law and started to believe that if we did these things, that that was what was actually going to save us. Okay? 
Now, now, it's, it's way different than us just trying to live according to the Bible and be perfect. It's way different. No, we do the same thing today. There's a lot of things that we incorporate into our lives that we want to live a certain way. Why? Because we think that that is actually the thing that is going to attain salvation for us. So Paul's going to address it, but here's how he's going to address the law. Because there's, there's this thought process that when we get to the New Testament, that the law was like, out. We don't need the law. We're under grace. <laughs> it's actually a little different than that. This is what Paul says. And I'm going to break this phrase into two different parts here. The first one is this. We are not saved by the law. Okay, he's going to articulate that you were never saved by the law. The law is not meant to save you. I mean, think about it. The people that were living according to the law back in the Old Testament and all the way through biblical history, you ask any of them, like, how is it? Living, how is the law? What did they tell you? It's overwhelming. Like to think about all this and to keep all this stuff straight and these sacrifices and all this, it's overwhelming. Exactly. The law overwhelms. Why? Because of what the law is supposed to do. Verse 20 of Romans 3 says this, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. This is key though. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Okay? Now, I want you to stick with me because the, the, the law has a purpose. Okay, the law was given, it's, it, it, it's a law. And it was given on a purpose. In the Old Testament, that the way that we look at it is that the purpose of the law is if I was to pick up this mirror. And this mirror was the law. Everything that as I look at my life, it, the law was a mirror to show me how guilty and how sinful I am. It was something as a standard to be able to look at and go, wow, I, I can't add up to the law. There's, there's no way for me to actually be good enough to do all the right things, to accomplish everything. There's, there's absolutely no way to do this. The law, number one in your notes is this, the law shows us how sinful we are. We actually have sin. Wow, wow. Ugh, I don't like a mirror. I'm gonna put that down. <laughs> how sinful we are. It also shows this. It shows that the entire world is guilty before God. It highlights the guilt, right? And the law also keeps us from any excuses. It keeps us from making any excuses about how we live or whatever. Why? Because it covers absolutely every element of life, okay? So it's this thing that we look at to understand how sinful we are, okay? Now, now here's the power of the law. You can never attain and live perfectly according to everything written in the law. It was impossible, right? And we see this all through history. But here's the beautiful thing that Paul lays out. Even though you and I could never fulfill what the law demanded, there was someone who did. You and I could never, I, 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 I dare you to read Leviticus and actually think through that you can actually keep all of the Levitical law. Like, good luck. And, and if you come to me thinking that I'm going to deal with your sacrifices, forget about it. 
because I am not that kind of a priest. (laughs) Jesus came, and here's the power of Jesus. He did what you and I could never do, lived a sinless, perfect life. He fulfilled the law. We could never do it, but he did it. Now, because he did it, this is where it gets really, really good for us. Because Paul is actually going to lay out a way for us to be right before the Father through the law. I'll put this down so that the people over there don't keep looking at it. They're like, yeah, I have to look at myself the whole time. Yeah, (laughs) blinding you. Okay, here's what Paul highlights here. You have the law. Okay, the law shows you you're a sinner. The law shows you that you need somebody outside of yourself to actually save you. And then he's gonna highlight this person who came to actually fulfill the law. And what the switch is, is this, is that for us, all we have to do, and I say it tongue in cheek because it's actually a lot harder than it sounds. All we have to do is put our faith in the one who fulfilled the law. Here's what's so cool about the law. As we actually look into this, the, the last half of this phrase is, but by faith, we don't, so, so we're not saved by the law, but by faith in the one who fulfilled the law, okay? Romans 3.21 says this, and then I'll, I'll get to what I was saying. It says this, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. I like how the NLT translates it and they use this idea of, of the way, the way, the way. Here's what I want you to understand is as you, as you interpret scripture and as you look at scripture, the law is not done. The law is not done. It's still there, but Jesus fulfilled it. Right. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying here? We no longer have to live according to the law because we have the law of faith. The law that says if we put our faith in Jesus and live according to him, that he has fulfilled the law and we are sanctified and we are right and we have right standing with God because of Jesus, okay? This is the other visual that you can use. Not a mirror, but the law now or this new way, this new way that Paul is laying out becomes a window. And the window is it shows us that Jesus actually fulfilled the law. We now view the law through the person of Jesus. We don't, we don't get rid of the law. We look at the law and we say, man, my life is messed up. I could never attain to that. I could never live according to that. I could never live a perfect life. And then you hold this up and go, but somebody did. So what Paul's saying is, instead of looking at it as a mirror to look back at yourself and say, I can never do this, woe is me, I'm, I'm, I'm done for, I'm ruined, look at it through Jesus to see the law fulfilled and allow faith in him to rejuvenate your life and give you fresh life to live for him. Paul's saying, listen, 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 look who fulfilled the law for you. Look who actually was able to do what you could never do. And by the way, what you have to do as a believer is put your faith in him. That's what we're supposed to do. 
Does this make sense? Okay, a new way. Now, the new way, put that there before it breaks. The new way shows the law fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus was the only one who lived according to the law. He was the only one who fulfilled it. He was the only one who was ever to be perfect. And, and, and we know this. And this is what's so beautiful about Jesus. In as much as the cross is powerful because he was the perfect sacrifice, what enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice is that he lived the perfect life. So he was able to, 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 to grow as a human, fully God, fully man, but never sin and fulfill every part of the law and then die for us to save us and salvation on the cross. His whole life was what gave us access to this new way of living, this new faith in him. Number two, the new way shows God's redemptive plan through Jesus. It was always about, it was always about Jesus. From the beginning of time, it was always about Jesus. It was all a setup to say, you, you, you can't do this on your own and you're not going to be able to do it. You need somebody outside of yourself to save you. And I've already thought of that, God speaking, I've already thought of that. And because I love you so much, I'm providing a way for you to be saved. And it's coming in the form of my son who I love. And he's going to come and he's going to pay the price for your sins. It was through Jesus. When we read the Bible, it's Christocentric. Sometimes, sometimes we read the Bible about how it applies to our lives, and there's nothing wrong with that because everything in the Bible applies to us. How we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to have faith, like all of these things. But make no mistake that the Bible is actually Christocentric, meaning it tells the story of Christ from the beginning of time all the way through the book of Revelation. You know how I know that? You know what the opening line of the book of Revelation is? The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelation of the end times. It's revelation of Jesus Christ. So if I read the Bible, Christocentric, everything points to who he is and the power of what he fulfilled on the cross. Number three, the new way shows that salvation has always been about faith. Always been about faith. You look at the heroes of the faith that are outlined in Hebrews 11. What does it say? By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Abraham left his land and followed. By faith, Moses. By faith, David. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Barak. It went through all of these people. By faith, Samson. All of these people. And what saved them is their faith. Now, now what I love about the, the if I look at the, 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 the wall of heroes of the faith in there, you've got people like, You've got people like uh, Samson, right? Um, not necessarily the role model you want your son to follow after. <laughs> Saved by faith. David, really cool guy, except he murdered and committed adultery. Saved by faith. Rahab, prostitute. Saved by faith. It's always been about faith. Romans 3.22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It's always about faith in him, faith that he fulfilled the law, faith that he was the perfect sacrifice, faith that he actually took all of our sins on his shoulders when he died on the cross, faith that he actually still today seals our destiny in heaven if we believe in him. Like, like it's all faith in who he is. 
Hebrews actually says it this way, is that uh, in Hebrews 11, it says that it is actually impossible to please God without faith. So if we think that we're going to just do a bunch of good works and things to please God, that's not going to happen. We please him because we believe in him. Our faith in God is what pleases him. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Covenant, it's always been about faith. So the crux passage of all of this right here is Romans 3, 23 to 26, right? I'm going to read these verses because this is where the meat of everything that Paul is talking about here in Romans 3 is about. It says this, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. He's talking about the heroes of the faith, that it was attributed to them because of their faith in him. For he was looking forward and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for himself. Uh, For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This is what we live in, you guys. This should give us a hope right now. This should give us wind in our sails to believe that really what it comes down to is our belief in Jesus Christ, that he is the fulfillment of the law, that he's the salvation that we need, that he is the sacrifice for our sins. Like, like when we get to that point and we realize that, that what I need to have is I need to trust and have faith in him. It's a lot easier to see. But I think that it's supposed to be that way. Our faith journey was not supposed to be something that made sense or else it wouldn't be faith. We have to have faith to actually believe that what God said. So this is what he talks about. Now, I'm gonna bring this to a conclusion here because when we talk about faith, when we talk about the importance of faith in our life, I can't stress it enough. The only thing that saves you and I, justifies us and makes us right before God, is faith. You won't hear any other gospel ever preached from me. Now, this faith has several components to it, okay? The first of them is this, is that our life of faith begins with a moment of faith in Jesus, okay? Here's what I mean. As we walk on this journey of life, there is a moment for each one of us where we decide, you know what? I've lived my own life. I've, I've done it my own way. I, I've tried to be good enough. I've tried to, to perform. I've tried to live the 10 commandments. And then you realize thou shalt not steal. And you go, wow, I can't even do that one. And then, and then you go, okay, I'm gonna boil it down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And you go, wow, I, I've had a hard time even doing that, right? Like, like, I mean, Jesus made it real easy for us, right? No, not 10, just, just two. Okay, okay, well, we don't even have that down, right? Uh, and we need him to be able to do that, right? 
But what happens is in our relationship and our life with Jesus, there is a moment where we put our faith in him. For me, it was three years old. For my wife, it was 20 years old. It was this moment where we said, it's not about me anymore and what I can come up with. It's about you. And I believe that you are my savior. So this moment for every single one of us, and my, my prayer for you in this place is that you each would have a moment of being able to put your faith in Jesus. A moment of coming to this realization that that he's what you need more than anything else in your life. That his saving power comes to completely wash away the past and give you a new life and a new future and a hope. When When we're celebrating baptism at the end of the service today, the beautiful thing about it is that symbolically what happens is when someone goes down into the water, Their old self, this is what we believe again by faith, that their old self, the sinful self, is being buried with Christ and gone. And when they come out of the water, they come up in new life. That's the power of baptism, right? And this is why we we identify with this so clearly. And this is why we do this, this act. It's much more than just an act that we do. It actually has spiritual significance, okay? So our life begins with a, a moment of faith. Romans 3, 27 to 28 says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law, right? So it's, a, it's, it's about this moment of faith where we realize it's not about what I do. That's not what earns me salvation. It's him and my faith in him. Okay. Now, now here's the other part. Okay. I want you to think about it like a two-sided coin. Your life of faith begins with a moment of faith, but also a moment of faith leads to a life of faith. Okay. There's this idea that once we put our faith in God, there is a work that takes place in our life. And that we now live every day with faith in Jesus. We live every day in the saving power of the cross. We live every day believing that he has our best, that he, he is for us and not against us, that he's going before us, that he holds us on the right and on the left and before and behind. We believe by faith that God has us in the palm of his hand and he's walking with us. It is this life of faith that then begins to grow and grow. Faith is what actually empowers us to live for Christ. Okay, now, now th- this is where these two things tie together. You have a moment of faith and you have a life of faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, we believe that he comes into your life and starts to transform and change you, which should have a visible external effect in our lives. W- would everybody agree with that? Yes. When, when, when you have put your faith in Jesus, you better believe he starts to work on your heart. And he starts to bring healing and he starts to bring wholeness. And he starts, so if you continue to have faith in the ongoing work of Jesus in your life, you start to see a transformation that takes place. Now, God will put his finger on things through the Holy Spirit that you will need to work on. This is where faith and works come together. Because you are saved by faith. And then when God does a work of faith in you, he'll put his finger and say, hey, by the way, you know how you're treating your kids? 
is it, it's, it's, it's not good. I, I want to start to transform that. And so by faith, we allow him to come and to start to transform the way that we treat our kids. Do you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Okay. James says it this way. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead without good works. Meaning your faith should have an evidence in your life. A moment of faith and a life of faith. Paul writes it this way in Philippians when he says this, dear friends, you have always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with fear and reverence or in deep reverence and fear. Okay. Notice what it says. The wording here is very, very key. Work hard to show your faith, not earn anything, but, but the idea is this, and this is the imagery. Culture, think about culture as a stream, a river, a current. And without God, we, we just go along with the current. And we're just going that way. When we put our faith in Jesus, we do a 180. But, but here's the thing. I want you, I want you now to, to be be the salmon, be the salmon. The thing, the gravers, the gravers got this. This illustration's for you guys. When you put your faith in Jesus, you turn into the current, which means this, there now is some work that you have to do to continue to go against the current. You don't just put your faith in Jesus and then just go back with current. You put your faith in Jesus and then he does a work of faith in your life that continues to draw you forward. Yeah. See, see, it's a misconception that we just, you know, oh, we're saved and oh, now it's just one happy big ride. Woo, yay, oh yeah. No, that's actually false. You have something that you are called to do. Yeah. Live it out. Yeah. Shine a light. Yeah. Be a hope in the darkness. This, this is the thing. You're not just doing good works to do good works, to earn yourself some sort of a, a reward. No, no, no. You're doing those things to shine the light and the love of God into a culture that needs it. As you allow that faith to change and transform who you are, you better believe that people will start to notice a difference. And when they notice a difference, they will ask. And this is what first Peter talks about to be ready to give an answer and a reason for the hope that lies within you. As you're swimming up current, constantly swimming up current, People are going to ask me, like, what are you doing? It's so much easier just to go with the current. Well, this is why. Because I know where the current is going. And I don't want to end up there. And my faith is in the one that gives me the power to be able to swim up current because he has a reward for me. He, he, do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? So a life of faith. This is what's really, really important for us. Romans 3.27 says this. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. Like I read this before, it is based on faith. Our faith has a moment of faith where we put our faith in Jesus. I say faith a lot because it's a good word to say a lot. 
We put our faith in Jesus. That leads to then a life that is transformed and full of faith in it to live out who he's called us to be, right? This, this is why I was actually having a really good conversation with um, Nick about this. Nick and I, we have, we have really fun conversations. It's awesome. No, we really do. We really do. And, and Nick, we were talking about this, like Sermon on the Mount, for example, right? Uh, this is a tangent, but it'll, it'll make sense, right? Sermon on the Mount, one of the belief systems is like, okay, that's Jesus's New Testament uh, Levitical law. You need to just live according to this, right? Which is not true. That's not actually how it works. Once you put your faith in Jesus and his faith starts to transform your life, you read the Sermon on the Mount and you actually process and allow the Holy Spirit to put his finger on certain elements of what he said to bring you into more alignment with the kind of life that he wants you to live. And so then you read the Sermon on the Mount and you go, oh, wow, okay, there's some things that I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in my life, right? And we allow there to be a transforming power that takes place. Now, to bring it full circle and make it even more confusing, your life of faith begins with a moment of faith. And that moment of faith leads to a life of faith. And that life of faith is full of moments of faith. Do, do, do you hear what I'm saying here? I know it's confusing. I know it's confusing. Go with me here. As we live this life of following Christ, there will be moments where we actually have to step out in faith. Every day we are given and presented with opportunities to put our faith in Jesus. It isn't a one-time thing. It's like, man, my bank account is at the end and there's nothing else in it. So I'm going to have faith. My kids are walking away from the Lord. I can't do anything about it. So I'm going to have faith. My marriage is on the rocks. It's falling apart and there's nothing I can do about it. But I'm going to have faith. That the one who formed and the one who calls and the one who anoints will also be the one to preserve and the one to strengthen and the one to call forward and the one to give me the vitality that I need for life. I actually believe that in the darkest moments of life that I have faith to believe that God is still God. And this grows through our life. In everything, this is, so, this is such the beautiful thing. This is what I love about God. Whoa, that was really loud. This is what I love about God. He says, hey, I want you to live this life of faith in me. But I know it's going to be challenging. And I know it's going to be hard. And I know there's going to be times that you don't have answers. And that's going to really, really be a struggle for you. And I know all of this. So you know what I'm going to do? God speaking. I'm going to give you a helper. Not only do you have to figure, you don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to figure out this life of faith on your own. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit who will help you to live a life of faith. You're not on your own. God hasn't just said, well, figure it out. Good luck. No, he's given you a helper to be able to live for him. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit in my life. Because when I put my faith in, in Jesus and at these times when I have a hard time and my faith is tested, the Holy Spirit strengthens me. 
when I went through the, the brain tumor, and, and I know, people are like, eh, brain tumor, yeah, we know. I'm always going to go back to it, though. <sighs> I have the microphone, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> Whenever I go back to that, that was a moment in time when my faith was tested. And I, I believe 100% that if I did not have the help of the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have been able to process through it. This is why the Holy Spirit has come, to help us to be able to go through this. Do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, as we conclude then, here's what we're gonna do. Like I said, this life of faith in Jesus, that he has fulfilled the law, that he has paid the perfect sacrifice for your sin with his shed blood on the cross, leads us to a moment where we put our faith in him, not in us, not in our works, not in the things we do. I would say this, not even in somebody else's faith. We are all called to have a moment of faith where we put our individual faith in Jesus. Today, as we get ready to conclude service, I want to give you, if you're listening here and you have not had the opportunity to have that moment of faith, to put your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who paid the price for your sins, as the one who forgave you of everything that you ever have done or ever will do, I want to give you the opportunity today to put your faith in Jesus. This is simply what salvation means. It's believing in somebody other than yourself to save yourself. It's believing in Jesus. The shed blood on the cross and his victory over sin and the death and the grave. So as we conclude here today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you've never had the opportunity to put your faith in God today, I want to, and, and faith in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing crazy spiritual about this prayer other than it's the connection of your heart and your mind to believe in Jesus. And so that's what I want to do today is give you that. Now, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a minute. But what I want to do before that is I actually want everybody who's going to be uh, getting baptized today, I want you guys to go ahead and stand and you guys can make your way out uh, into the lobby to get ready so that you guys are all set for when we come out there in just a, just a couple of minutes, okay? But for everybody else who's here in this moment, just lock in with me. I know there's movement, but, but it's okay. I know you can do this. I know you can focus. I know, I know it. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. <laughs> Have to be <laughs> have to be more entertaining than the people leaving the room. I mean, that's a lot of work. Oh, man. If you want to take that opportunity today for a moment to put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how we're going to do this. I want everyone's uh, heads bowed, eyes closed. And uh, this is just so you can have an opportunity with God. But if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I, I've tried doing it myself and, and, and I don't think the current of culture leads to somewhere good. I, I, I really don't. And I want and I need the saving power of Jesus. If that's you here this morning and you want to uh, uh, give your life to Jesus, you want to put your faith in him today, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. Nobody looking around, just lift your hand. Awesome, awesome. Wonderful, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Now, here's what we're going to do is we're going to pray a prayer. Now, again, this prayer is just simply to connect your, your heart and your mind together. 
And we're all going to pray this together. So we're all going to repeat this. And if you raise your hand and you're, you want to put your faith in Jesus today, believe that there's actually something powerful that's taking place in your life. Let's all, let's all pray this. Repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I come to you today and I confess that I've lived my own life, done my own thing, and rebelled against you. I realize I have sin and I need a savior. And today, I put my faith in you. You are my savior. You are my Lord. You are my God. I receive the power of the cross, the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that through you, I have new life and forgiveness of all my sins. And everybody said together, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for those that prayed that prayer today for the first time?